You are listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen Michael and Sunny Hollywood Pooney. We at Growing Up Rock would like to thank all of our listeners for hanging out with us the last four years. We fully realize that, at times, it hasn't been easy. By some miracle, the two hosts haven't killed each other yet. And although no one has ever been paid at Growing Up Rock headquarters, we continue to stick around too. Not sure why. Since it is our fourth anniversary, I am reminded of a couple of jokes. What is your favorite number? Four. Why? I never met a four I didn't like. Did you know a ballerina's favorite number is four? Why? Because it's two twos. Trust me, those two jokes will be better than anything you hear from the two hosts today. Now. Crank. It. Up. Welcome, welcome to four years of glory. And I got to tell you, Hollywood, those jokes, not necessarily better than the jokes I tell tonight, because come on, my jokes, they're at least as good, if not better than that computers. Uh, No, your jokes are much, much worse. (laughs) It's unbelievable that people have been listening to us for four years. I would ask why, but I most likely will not get an answer. I'm hoping that answer is good, but that answer is probably you got nothing better to do. So uh, thanks for listening anyway. Yeah, most likely it's because of the great music we play, because usually they say, you know, less talk, more music. So they really don't want to hear us talk. (laughs) I agree with that. Sometimes I don't want to hear us talk either. Because when I edit, I'm like, we should just edit all this out. This is all worthless. (laughs) That's what I usually do in the edit. Hi, this is Sonny and this is Steve. It's been four years. Here's some music for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, what are you going to do? But uh, no, four years, man. We've said it before. It ain't easy doing it every week. That's for sure. And we've seen many, many podcasts give up to try to go twice every month. They go once a month. They go once a quarter. Some just give up all together because- at some point, if you lose the passion for it, since you're, it's not your job and it's supposed to be a hobby, the minute it's not fun anymore, then you got to basically just stop. Yeah, that's exactly right. None of our friends that we know that are podcasters are making any money. We're certainly not making any money. And in most cases, it costs money. We always try to just like break even from people contributing or making donations or it's a passion of love for music. And it's 
great to be able to hang out once a week and talk. And there's a lot of podcasts that start out strong. And like you said, they do one a week and then they go to one every couple of weeks and then one every month, you know, just they lose the passion. Life happens and uh, they just can't keep up with the pace because I don't think people realize a lot of work goes into podcasts. They aren't super easy just to throw something up that is, uh, you know, like a show and is presentable where people can listen to it and enjoy it. Yeah, especially like uh, our topic today. So I come up with this stupid idea and then we come up with these albums and I'm like, I haven't heard these albums in so long. I'm going to have to go listen. And then all of a sudden you're listening to 10 albums in a week trying to get refreshed on what it was. And then I realized one of these albums I had never heard. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to listen to that one a couple of times. Yeah, most of these records for me, I knew most of them. There were a few that I didn't know. And the ones that I did know, I haven't heard in forever. So I literally had to do a lot of homework just to get to a, a reasonable place with this episode. So first of all, obviously, we're celebrating our fourth year, our fourth birthday. And if you say, well, you guys do a lot of celebration episodes. Well, not really. We celebrate once a year for our birthday. And then the other celebration episodes we do are normally for like a hundredth episode, 200 episode. We'll do one for 300 episodes. So milestone episodes, but that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like we were talking about podcasting isn't easy throw in there. You got two completely different personalities because this jackass, that's my co-host is a pain in the ass. I know I'm a pain in the ass too. I'm just saying it. Hey, Gilmore, you suck. Yeah. Jackass. But that's, that's in there. Then you got the three hour time difference that's in there. So we want to celebrate because we continue to be amazed that we are even hitting milestones. It's amazing. We're hitting milestones. It's amazing. The amount of people that listen all over the world in different places where the language isn't even English. So I'm just assuming that somebody that understands English is living there and playing our podcast, or maybe again, they're just listening to the music and, and fast forward through us. I don't know, but hopefully we share some decent information. You maybe didn't know about these bands. And then we share music that either you haven't heard before, you haven't heard in a long time. And I'm sure that we have people of all ages that listen to us. So for a younger generation, a lot of this stuff may be new and we may just treat it as classic stuff. And then we're sharing the new music along with it. That's new. That's coming out today. So all things hard rock and metal. Hopefully you can get them here at Grown Up Rock. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So, tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight, we're going to go to Broadway, so to speak, or at least that's sort of the idea. We're going to talk about all things Dennis DeYoung, the former lead singer from Styx. I call him Mr. Broadway because he's sort of Broadway in uh, his stage show and how he delivers some of the music. But don't get me wrong. I really like Dennis DeYoung's voice. And he's put out two albums in the past like year, year and a half. And for me personally, both albums have had some really good material on them. I don't love them all the way through, but I like a lot of material on both records. He just recently released 
26 East Volume 2. So last year he released Volume 1. This year, Volume 2, he's been doing a lot of work, almost sort of co-doing these albums with Jim Paterik from Survivor. Uh, I guess he was the original guy in Survivor, uh, wrote Eye of the Tiger. I also found out he co-wrote a lot of tunes that I had no idea he co-wrote. He co-wrote Heavy Metal with Sammy Hagar. He co-wrote uh, some Ario Speedwagon songs. What else did he do? I saw a whole rap sheet on him, and I was like, wow, this guy has written a lot of great stuff. Let me play this song for you, and then let me get your opinion. Here's a song, second track off of 26 East, Volume 2. This one's called Land of the Living. It's good to be back in the land of the living. Good to be back. Good to be back in the land of the living. Good to be back. There's a seismic shift, a powerful lift in the atmosphere. And the whole world rocks in. Existing till the moment I saw your face, then the strongest of all emotion hit me by surprise, right between the eyes, resurrected me and I
Okay, so Dennis D. Young, I've been known to say in sticks, I like the Tommy Shaw stuff better than the Dennis D. Young stuff. And then solo, I've actually liked more Dennis D. Young stuff than I'd like Tommy Shaw stuff. Cause Tommy does some weird stuff when he's solo. I like this song because it's rocking Dennis D. Young. I like the pop sensibilities and the rock sensibilities of who Dennis D. Young is. I don't like musical theater, Dennis D. Young. <laughs> so there's not a single album I can hear all the way through because that comes every once in a while. Volume one was full of that stuff. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to put another one of those out. So I know it hits the ear right of some people, but for me, if it's Desert Moon, Dennis D. Young, I am in. But if it's Mr. Roboto on steroids, Dennis DeYoung, I am out. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I think we're in line on Dennis DeYoung. Yeah, I like this song. Uh, I like a lot of his pop sensibilities, just like Sonny said. Uh, as long as he mixes in enough rock to the pop and it's a nice balance. I like Dennis's voice. He's got a great voice. He can really sing. And let me just tell you, he can still sing today. I saw him a couple of years ago when he was doing the Grand Illusion album, Start to Finish, plus a bunch of other hits. And his band was amazing. He sounded great. Total Broadway live, but he's always been Broadway live. And in fact, I forgot because I saw him with Sticks back uh, on the Kilroy Was Here tour. And I forgot how Broadway he he really was. And, and he's still that today. Obviously, he hadn't changed any. But, you know, he moves around for an old guy. And he sounded fantastic. And in my opinion, hasn't lost a step vocally. Not at least that night that I saw him. Uh, and I don't, I don't think he was getting help. He had some great singers. Uh, that August Xander is in his band, and that guy sings great. And uh, the other guitar player he had, too, who I can't remember his name, he sings great. So he has a great singing band behind him. But each album, like I said, has good stuff that I like, and it's hit or miss. But uh, there you go. New Dennis DeYoung for you. Yeah, and the voice piece that you were talking about, like these are guys that took care of their voices, right? So everybody in Sticks still got it. Hell, everybody in the Eagles still had it, right? So, but they, you know, yeah, they did their drugs and their drinking and blah, blah, blah. Before they weren't snorting ants off fucking poolside. Like those guys, their voice is a little rough nowadays. These guys, I would say that they're probably a little more professional and maybe thought things through just a little bit more and rested enough. And, uh, yeah, he sounds great. That part's not the issue. It's just a songwriting every once in a while. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Okay, so for today's episode, we could have went a bunch of different ways since we're celebrating our fourth anniversary. You know, we could have went with bands that only got four members or four studio album from a band or the fourth song off their debut album, or we could have went with, you know, albums that are four years old or songs that are 44 years old, or we could have went a lot of different ways. But we decided to change things up a little bit, and we are going with rock albums that either have the number four in the title or the numeral four, Roman numeral four in the title, or the actual word F-O-U-R, four in the title. We try to stay away from F-O-R, four in a title, because that could have gave you the phone book. So we, we wanted to kind of get down. Now, when we did that, you were going to hear about some albums that uh, I could honestly say even the Dennis Talbots of the world that got a collection beyond collections, I'm sure 
Brad Rustovan's got a collection beyond collections. Like some of these guys we know, I guarantee you, you don't have half these albums. Like that's how kind of deep we ended up going. They're bigger bands, but it's very possible because I don't even know if some of these albums are available in uh, some sort of form that, you know, CD or LP or whatever. I think there might only be digital. So, uh, but we'll see where we go. We're not starting off with some of those, but we are definitely putting some of those in. So uh, it'd be a kind of a nice game to see how many you own. What else is going to be a nice game is how many times I actually use your catchphrase of brutal. Because <laughs> there, there's a couple things on here that are brutal. <laughs> well, we'll go into that too. So you start. So my first album that was given to me, because Sonny pretty much picked most of these. I, I did an audible on one and switched out one. But my first record is the fourth album from Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, Volume 4, released on September 25th of 1972. It was produced by Black Sabbath and Patrick Meehan. So this is the period of time where Black Sabbath is just starting to sort of hit their groove, had three pretty successful records. They hit Volume 4, and... I'm sure they were doing drugs beforehand, but now they got a bunch of money and their drug habit is out of control. So they're literally bringing in crates of cocaine into the studio at this point in time. So you can imagine <laughs> the interesting stories that went along with making this album. I read a story today, Hollywood, where they literally played a trick on Bill Ward and painted his entire body with a uh, spray can of gold paint <laughs> while he slept. That's not real safe. <laughs> Pretty dangerous, actually. <laughs> and it didn't turn out real well. I think he had problems. They actually recorded this in the um, uh, mansion that belonged to DuPont, the paint guy, you know, DuPont paint and, yeah. and that's where they found these cans of, of spray paint. Yeah, probably not the best place. Anyway, yeah, that's the deal. You know, this record contained changes and I would say probably changes and Snowblind were the most popular songs off this or the most well-known Black Sabbath songs off this record. For me, this record is just kind of meh. Definitely changes. And Snowblind and Supernaut are my favorite songs off this record. Those are pretty solid songs and changes. Is a, I mean, that's a great ballad. It really is a good ballad. But I want you to check out a little Snowblind to go along with their nasty uh, cocaine drug habit.
you know, Slow Blind's okay. With all the egos in this band, I'm surprised that that monochrome pick of Ozzy is what the album cover is because you would think that all four want to be on the album cover somehow or maybe none of them are on the album cover, but you don't just let Ozzy do it. So that's, that's a little weird. The production is of the time. It's got that little extra fuzz. You know, you got Iomi involved in the production, so I guess you get what you get. When it comes down to it, I'm barely a Black Sabbath fan. I like some of the hits. At times, it's just too sludgy for me. And you absolutely don't need two instrumentals on this album. Like, what the hell? Like, you don't, you don't need it, right? So, like, I like Tomorrow's Dream. I like Changes. It surprisingly works here. The re-release of that song, Baruchel. That one that he does with his daughter. Oh my God. Bad. Hey, yeah. Uh, have you heard uh, Zach do changes? I don't think so. Zach does a uh, a cover of changes really well. Sounds great. He sings it, obviously. No album should start with an eight minute song, <laughs> especially if you're going to bore people to death. Like there's just some things that I don't understand about Black Sabbath. And then I realize I'm like, well, maybe you just, you got to be hammered to really appreciate it because of that slow sludgy. Yeah. So like, you know, if I put all the Black Sabbath albums together, all forms, all forms of Black Sabbath, I come up with maybe 30 songs I like, but they probably have 250 songs. So I don't know. This album's okay. You know, I would say Tomorrow's Dream and Changes are probably the two best songs and Snowblind's okay. Damn, you don't like Supernaut? Eh, it was okay. I do like Supernaut. Yeah, I mean, definitely this is not my favorite black sabbath record at all but those are my three songs changes supernaut and snow blonde so let me move on to my second record my second record is stone temple pilots number four gee that's a really creative title (laughs) so released on october 26 1999 produced by brendan o'brien this was actually recorded here in atlanta I remember when they were actually working on this record locally because they were hanging out in some of the establishments that I frequented around that time period. This record was said to be a return to form for Stone Temple Pilots as far as their hard rock sound because they got a little bit away from that uh, with the previous two albums, for sure. You know, when I first put this record on, it blew me away because I really liked the heaviness. I liked the fact that they were back. This record got really little promotion. They said it was due to Scott Weiland's one-year jail sentence shortly before the album's release. Well, I'm sure that didn't happen, but this album was certified platinum, and the song Down, which is one of my favorite songs on the record, was nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance at the Grammys. The album also produced another favorite song of mine on this record, which is Sour Girl, uh, which is one of their biggest hits. It charted at 78 on Billboard's Hot 100, and it was their only song to appear on the chart. I question that. Plush never made the chart? I'm not sure I believe that stat, but that's what it says. Anyway, my favorite songs for this record are Down, Sour Girl, and I like Church on Tuesday as well.
it's interesting that we're talking about Stone Temple Pilots right after Black Sabbath, because there's some Black Sabbath in them, but it's kind of like the good kind. Like they've got the feel of it, but not the super sludge of it. And like you said, this was supposed to be their get back to rock roots record, which I would say is true. This album is definitely more like core than it is tiny music. That's for sure. I enjoyed core. I enjoyed purple. And then after that, SDP gets a little hit and miss for me. Cause like, I don't need orchestra shit. Like there, you know, that song Atlanta, like I get it, whatever, but come on SDP and orchestra. I don't know. Sal girls meh to me. I, I know it was the hit, but really? I really like, yeah, yeah. I like down church on Tuesday and I like no way out, which is a little bit red hot chili peppers almost. Right. So those are probably my three favorite songs, but I'll tell you that falsetto that Scott's doing in glide, man, it works. And you wouldn't think that a falsetto from Scott Wheeland would work, but it works. Man, I love the melody in Sour Girl. I just think the melody is really, really good. You know, because me and slower songs, they don't really mix. But you know, I, I felt like that was a really strong song for them. What you got? What are your first couple records? Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to start with a doozy here. Yes, Sonny is going to talk about Danzig. Yes, that Danzig. Because Danzig has an album called Danzig 4. It was released in 1994, and it was on the heels of the mother hit single that was all over MTV. This album's second single, Can't Speak, was trying to actually mimic Mother's, um, I guess, success. It didn't quite go down that way. This album's interesting. Glenn has some interesting songwriting chops, because Going Down to Die, it sounds like to me it's almost like doing a best his best Great White impression. It was supposed to be in the Natural Born Killers soundtrack, but I guess it didn't make it there. All the tracks are written by Glenn Danzig. Uh, Rick Rubin helped in the production. Um, the band at this point is Glenn on vocal guitars. And yes, there's some piano in this. John Christ on uh, guitar, Erie Vaughn on bass, and Chuck Biscuits on uh, drums. And then I guess they started having issues. So there was all kinds of accusations about unpaid royalties and broken promises. So Danzig boots Rubin, and then the band leaves the record label. Around this time, like the lineup starts getting crazy. So Biscuits is the first guy to go because he thinks he's not getting enough royalties. And according to Kerrang, Dave Grohl was supposed to join the band, but he thought better of it. Good job, Dave. Don't always support you, but uh, I would say that's a good call. So they get Joey Castillo and then they go on uh, tour. Glenn, it's interesting because he sometimes reminds me of a Jim Morrison because he's got that tone in his voice a little bit, especially in some of his vocal phrasing. And especially when things get slowed down a little bit. So if you go listen to like the first 90 seconds of Little Whip on this album, it sounds like the doors to me. Now, all that being said, I can't call Glenn a dynamic vocalist by any means. But uh, you know what? Check out Brand New God. Maybe you haven't heard Danzig. Check out Brand New God.
Yeah, okay. So, brutal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> really? This record. You're selling disnable stuff? Oh, my God. So, I'm not a huge Danzig fan. Let me throw that out there first and foremost. I'm kind of a hits guy. I like Mother. I like Twisted Cane. I like a few songs off of the records. And I saw this tour. I saw Danzig on this tour because I'm a casual friend of Joey C's. And so he joined this band, got this gig. I knew him from Sugar Tooth Days, and he invited me to come down to the Atlanta show when they were in town. It's not one of my favorite Danzig records, for sure. Uh, and like I said, some of the stuff I can take, I just have to be in the mood. I just, I don't know. I don't connect with his voice, I guess. Yeah, I would say that if you've never heard Danzig before, try three songs off this record. Brand New God, which you just heard. Going Down to Die, which is a little more great white, like I said, and a song called Dominion. I would stay away from a song called Sadistical because <laughs> exactly what you think Danzig is when you hear Glenn Danzig's name and you remember that black and white, that front face shot while he's singing Mother, exactly what you think that means, that's what Sadistical is. So I would just stay away from that all the way around. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's move away from Danzig. And we will go to Sammy Hagar and the Wabaritas, and they had an album called Not For Sale, right? Not the number four in sale. I released in 2002. I will preface all of my comments by saying I love Sammy. I'm not going to say Sammy can do no wrong. I'm just saying I love Sammy, okay? So after you hear these comments, you might be questioning whether I like Sammy or not. I love Sammy. I just want to say that out loud. Okay, at this point, the band is Sammy on vocal and guitar, Vic Johnson on guitar, Jesse Harms on keyboards. He's got Mona on bass and David Lawser on drums. So Things Changed was the only single, but it didn't really do that much. Stand Up, that song that's in Rockstar that Sammy wrote, is on this album, but it has a different set of lyrics. The movie version's better, just saying. Uh, there's a song called Whole Lot of Zep, which is a reworked medley of three Zep songs, uh, Whole Lot of Love, Black Dog, and Cashmere. Sammy, I love you. Stop messing with Zeppelin. Like, that, it just, it, it, it didn't work. And this album is not exactly Sammy's best stuff. Now, you read his book, you read the stuff that's on Wikipedia, he'll tell you that they were just messing around, they were you know, rehearsing, they were playing because they were bored and they just came up with these 10 songs and they had to put them on record. That's exactly what it sounds like because it's not great stuff and it probably needed to be refined. And Sammy, I know you're listening. It's been 19 years. 
go listen to stand up on Rockstar and then listen to the stand up you put on not for sale and you will get what I'm talking about. I will tell you one of the better tracks is the title track. So check this out. Not for sale. And Sonny would like tickets to your Las Vegas residency, please. You bastard. Yeah, they sold out in less than like 11 seconds. I couldn't get, I couldn't spend money to see Sammy Hagar. It's ridiculous. So 
I had no idea that this album existed at all. I've never even heard of this album, seen the cover. I knew nothing about this album. Overall, I think, you know, I enjoyed the Sammy Hagar and the Wabaritas Most Killa record much, much more than this. When I first put it on, I didn't really look at the titles. I just kind of put it on uh, while I was messing around my desk and stand up came on and I was like, uh, that's stand up. That's an interesting arrangement. <laughs> okay. So I'll say this. I enjoyed the different arrangement of it I, just because it's not the same. It wasn't just a cover. It was just like, you know, a little bit different arrangement of it. It was almost like a train wreck and I didn't want to turn away. So I wanted to keep listening to it. I can't tell you whether I loved it or hated it because this record, I mean, I've only listened to this record a couple of times when I saw that you wanted to do this record. Like I said, I knew nothing about this record at all. Overall, it's got some Sammy stuff on it that's okay. But yeah, I agree with you. Not one of his better pieces of work, for sure. We, we got to play this this version of Stand Up, though, at the end of this uh, this episode. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, well, let's do that. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. So we're going to take a quick time out from our fourth birthday episode and talk to you about the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group over there at Facebook. If you are on Facebook, please join our Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a private group, and we like to discuss topics of the show. We share music. We share concerts. We share just general entertainment, whether it's books or TV shows or movies or music. It's a good conversation with a bunch of good people that are already part of the group. There's no poison in the group, which is really great. Uh, and so I would invite you folks to come on over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. Also, if you get a chance, you can really help out the podcast by leaving us a review over at Apple iTunes or at Podchaser. The links are usually in the show notes, so just click the links and go on over there and leave us a good review. We don't want any lousy reviews because that doesn't help us out. And last but not least, if you do any shopping at Amazon, which I'm almost guaranteeing you do because everybody shops at Amazon, whether it's for a t-shirt, a CD, or a snowblower, somebody shops at Amazon, you can really help out the podcast by using our Amazon affiliate link. It takes you over to the Amazon website, doesn't cost you a penny more, and you do your shopping just as you normally would but we get a little bit of kickback that helps us pay for our hosting fees. So it's as simple as that. You can get the link at the bottom of the show notes and yeah, that's it. Helps us out. All right, back to our show. So it's time for me to give my next album, and I am going with an absolute classic. 
And this is a record that needs no introduction. We're talking all about Led Zeppelin Four. Holy cow, this record is stacked from start to finish. Absolute classic record by Led Zeppelin. Released on November 8th of 1971, it was recorded at Headley Grange in Hampshire, England. This is a big estate, and it was produced by Jimmy Page. So the band was trying a bunch of different stuff at this point. The last album, Led Zeppelin III, really kind of got lukewarm reviews from the critics. They didn't think a whole lot about that, even though I think that record had some great stuff on it. And uh, this is the point where the band decided to start using those Led Zeppelin symbols for each member. This is new information for me because I didn't really know much about it, but the gods at Wikipedia said this is the place where it happened. So they started using the four symbols chosen by each band member without featuring the name or any details on the cover. Uh, Unlike the prior two albums, the band was joined by some guest musicians to record this record. This record is probably most known for having Stairway to Heaven on it, but it's got a lot of other great stuff. Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Battle of Evermore, Stairway to Heaven, Misty Mountain Hop, Four Sticks, Going to California, and When the Levee Breaks. This record sold 37 million copies worldwide. It is one of the best-selling albums in the U.S. My favorite songs on this record, (laughs) the whole record is great, but I really like When the Levee Breaks, even though it's a cover tune, I like Going to California, and I like Misty Mountain Hop. I'm a little burned on Black Dog and Rock and Roll, and definitely Stairway to Heaven, but the whole record for me is just fantastic.
So I'll tell you that it feels like I'm still discovering Led Zeppelin a bit. Like somebody will say, Hey, go check out this album or go check out this playlist of Zeppelin. And there'll be out of every three songs, I like two, right? So, um, it just feels like I'm still kind of, like I said, discovering them a little bit. This album is not a great album all the way through. There's five absolutely awesome songs. There's two that are okay. There is one that is absolutely Brutal. And I don't know why anybody likes this song. And I don't know why anybody keeps covering this song, but every version of this song is complete shit. And that is the battle of evermore. It is really, really bad. I'm sorry. All you Led Zeppelin fans that you don't agree, but that's, you are blinding by Zeppelin glasses because that song is shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I definitely disagree. I like the Battle of Evernord. The song that's weakest for me personally is Four Sticks. I don't love Four Sticks. The rest of the record is classic. I like Battle of Evermore. I think I like the mandolin in it. Uh, I, it's just not a brutal song for me. I, I can dig it. I really, out of the two slower songs, though, I really love going to California. Like that song is fantastic. I have that on my morning mix where I listen to a little bit quieter stuff. That song's on my mix like constantly. I just dig it that much. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. And the two songs I said were meh to me are Four Sticks and When the Levee Breaks. But I can tolerate those two songs. I just can't even listen to the other one. I love the swampiness of When the Levee Breaks. I like that bluesy slide and the drum. I mean, the drum beat is just, it's iconic, right? That drum beat has been sampled by so many artists. I know Beastie Boys for sure. I think there's been others that have sampled that drum beat as well. It just sounds so good. All right, so on to my next record. So this is where I pulled a little bit of an audible on Sonny and came up with this one last minute. I've had this record for a while, and it's been a long time since I listened to this record, so I want to go back and listen to it. And this record really surprisingly has some really good pop rock tunes on it. So we're talking about Danger Dangers for the Hard Way. It was released in September of 1997, It was recorded in New York. Uh, It's on Danger Danger's own label because at this point, nobody gave two shits about Danger Danger. So this is on Low Dice Records. It was produced by Danger Danger because they couldn't afford a producer. So they just had to to, uh, produce it itself. Uh, It's the fourth Danger Danger record, and it's the second album actually featuring singer Paul Lane because at this point, Ted Poley had checked out. I think they fired him. That was a surprise to me, too, because for the longest time, I kind of thought that Ted Poley was Danger Danger, but really, he came along and was hired much later in the band's career. It was originally Bruno Ravel, 
and uh, Steve West, I guess they hired Ted Pulley and, and fired him as well. So anyway, this record, it's said to be a return to their classic sound. Uh, it also featured former, former members, Andy Timmons and Casey Smith, who uh, contributed to the record. For me, this record has some really good tunes on it. I love Sick Little Twisted Mind, but I really enjoy this pop rocker. And this could have been a Bon Jovi tune for me. Uh, it's called The Girl Ain't Built to Sleep Alone. Check it out.
Okay, so I'll say I like like danger danger sometimes sometimes like that. <laughs> those first yeah those first two albums if you put them together you would have one great album you would just cut out half the songs right there's there's half the there's a little bit more than half the songs on the first album a little bit less than half the songs on the second album that I really like so you know kind of like a use your illusion one and two kind of thing I had never heard of this album before so when you sent it to me I'm like Dude, what the hell is this like so I heard the first song like wait a second that's not Ted who the hell is that I didn't even know they had this album I didn't know they had the new singer no clue so I listened to this album uh, two or three times this week Paul Lane his voice is definitely more powerful it has more rasp than Ted's does so I can only imagine when this tour went out live in clubs that Paul probably couldn't sell the fun of the first two albums that Ted can sell the fun. I don't hear in Paul's voice, Paul selling the fun, very similar to Brian Johnson sometimes doesn't sell the sexiness of what Bon Scott was singing. He does the song fine. Nobody's saying he can't hit the notes. I'm just talking about there's a, there's a touch to it that you just can't do. And Ted's got that touch. And, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit with Robert Mason and Janie Lane. There's like, yeah, he can do the songs, but he didn't write them. So he doesn't really have the same flavor to it. So I kind of felt the same way with Paul here. Even after listening to this album two or three times, the album was meh. I, I like Still Kicking. I like Coming Home, which was the bonus track. Those were probably the best two that I liked. I didn't think there was anything absolutely brutal on it. There was a couple of slow songs on like Paul, like, come on, do the, do the hard stuff and leave it alone. If this album was sold four copies, I'd be surprised. <laughs> well, I, I bought a copy, so. <laughs> so we're down to three. This is the album that anybody that's listening ain't got. This is one of the three they ain't got. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to more they ain't got. I guarantee you that. <laughs> All right. So going to my third album. So I'm going to talk about two albums you can't even find. They're not on Spotify. So good luck finding them. They are available in hard copy. You'd probably have to get them on eBay or whatever. I doubt they're available on Amazon. But the first one is called Population One, Sessions from Room Four. So it's an EP of five songs that was released in 2004, and it's a Nuno Betancourt side project. So this is what happens when Sonny connects with somebody or a band and goes, oh my God, I love what they're doing. I need everything. And then you go to the Gary Sharon foxhole and you find all of the spider webs that he's left over before and after the the extreme and during, and then you go do the same thing with Nuno Betancourt and go start getting everything because you saw on Wikipedia, he was involved in this, he was involved in this and I got it all. And this is one, (laughs) this is one of the EPs. I will tell you that this is a side project by Nuno while extremes on hiatus and everything's written by Nuno. And that's important because Nuno's songwriting is similar to what extreme is. It it is what it is musically. It has a little bit less groove than what extreme has, but the vocal phrasing gets a lot more whiny. So you get into like the second song on this thing and you're like, am I listening to green day or am I listening to Nuno Betancourt like this? And it it has that feeling a little bit. The band on the CP is Nuno on guitar and vocals, Joe Pesci on bass, Steve Ferlazzo on uh, keyboards who also actually worked with Gary on some of his solo stuff. He worked with Avril Levine, who cares? And then uh, Kevin Figueredo, who's the current drummer in Extreme. Like I said, a little Green Day-ish, but you got to, you know, give it a listen. Here is Exit. Check out Exit. Can't find a way to stop the pain right 
working, my brain is working overtime. like population one what the hell is this so i put it on 
I read your notes. I knew it was a Nuno side project. I've never heard of this. I certainly didn't own it. Uh, um, the first song was tolerable. I liked the first song pretty much, which is called What You Leave Behind. And then you get to Exit, uh, which you just heard. And I'm like, okay, is this uh, like American Hi-Fi? Or uh, it has that flavor of those bands like Good Charlotte or Some 41 or American Hi-Fi or that other band that sings You Give Me Hell, something like that. It's like sort of like pop punk little bit with a flavor. It's just it's different. It's okay. I mean, it, it, none of it was unlistenable for me. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I would say that if you can find it on eBay, it's probably going to be too expensive. So go to YouTube. You can probably find some of the songs. But we just played Exit, as we mentioned. Check out On and On, and check out a song called Nothing But Trouble. And uh, you might like those three songs. But uh, yeah, Nuno doing side stuff. We go from Nuno to possibly a band you never heard of called Human Clay. And they have a album called You, the number four, yeah, Euphoria, get it? So this is a Jeff Scott Soto project. So as you know, if you've been listening at all, I'm a huge Jeff Scott Soto fan. He's got hundreds of albums out there that he sang on. This is a project with him and his buddy, Marcel Jacob, rest in peace. They knew each other from the Momstein days or in the band together. Marcel is an amazing talent. He plays all the guitars on this project. Jeff does all the vocals and keyboards. And then they had Jamie Borger help with the drums. What happens with Jeff is he has, like I said, all this stuff out there. And again, I went into a foxhole and I have it all. And you'll listen to an album and you'll go, man, there's two or three songs that are like, my God, that is unbelievable. Amazing. Then there's a couple of songs that kind of get out there because they're experimenting and you kind of lose interest a little bit. So he's a lot like Richie. He's changing up his sound. He likes doing a lot of different things and it's hard to become a fan. What's interesting is both Richie and Jeff are Prince fans and Prince used to do the same thing. So I think it's, it's this feel of we're an artist. We are going to go do different things. Prince was probably able to do whatever he wanted because he had a lot of money. Richie and Jeff are doing it to pay the bills, right? So I get it. If you don't like this song, I got to question the taste. Check out Lessons of Love.
All right. So initially when I saw human clay, I was like, why is he putting a creed record on here? Cause I was like, that's all I saw was human clay in big letters. And I was like, creed. Why? 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 And then I was like, U4IA, what does that mean? <laughs> so, I don't understand. And I read your notes. Okay, another uh, Jeff Scott Soto project. Uh, and I went, again, I don't know anything about this record. I hadn't heard of this record at all uh, because I'm not the freaking Jeff Scott Soto stalker like you are. <laughs> I like Jeff. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not a stalker and don't know every last thing he's he's done. But I listened to this record a couple of times and I like it. It's, um, reminds me a little bit of, uh, uh, Talisman. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a good rock record in my opinion. So I got nothing bad to say. I like this song you just played. That's good stuff. Yeah. I think what Marcel was trying to do is, you know, he was playing with Ingve. That's how they met. Right. Like I said, and if you want to do a Mr. Big Talisman bass riffing, Billy Sheehan, Paul Gilbert, type of thing or a winery dogs, Richie Cotts and Billy Sheehan type of thing. That's very difficult to do with Ingve because Ingve doesn't want to play along sometimes. So when Marcel, Marcel, yeah, well, <laughs> when Marcel does this kind of stuff, he's playing everything. So this is his Mr. Big. And that's why the bass is going nuts. That's why the guitar is going nuts and he's got the talent to pull it off. So, Hey, it works. There's even a song on here called speed demon. That's a tribute to Dennis Rodman and they're Lakers fans. So I don't know why they're tributing Dennis Rodman, but whatever. I saw that and I was just praying it wasn't a cover of the keel song speed demon. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, not at all. All right. So now that leads us to my last record. And this is a record that really, to be quite honest, I'm guessing maybe 90% of the people own. And if not, then you're just not a foreigner fan, but we're talking about foreigner four. For me, this record was a staple of my grown up rock years. I had this record in my sophomore year in high school. And this is one of the records, to be quite honest, that probably got me, you know, headed me down the path of hard rock and metal. Released on July 2nd, 1981, recorded at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York City and produced by Mutt Lang and Mick Jones. Foreigner 4 is the fourth studio album by Foreigner released on Atlantic Records. Several singles from the album were hits, including Urgent, Waiting for a Girl Like You, and Jukebox Hero. The album was a success worldwide, holding the number one position on Billboard album charts for a total of 10 weeks. It eventually sold over 7 million copies in the U.S. alone. To me, you know about songs like Jukebox Hero, Waiting for a Girl Like You, Urgent. Those are all great songs, no doubt. But I even like some of the songs you don't know about. Nightlife, Break It Up is a great tune. Uh, Women in Black good tune. I mean, this whole record for the most part is pretty much great.
Okay, so Foreigner is great. I'm a fan. Nightlife, like you said, doesn't get enough props. And for all the Foreigner fans, we did a top 10 back in like, I think it was May of 2020. So May 31st to be exact. So check out that episode if you want to get all of our thoughts on Foreigner. All that being said, this album ain't perfect. Dude, Luann is not good. I'm going to win is not great either. There's some things that a great singer can save. The one thing a great singer cannot save is a poorly written song. And those two songs are not written well. Yeah. So I don't disagree with you there. I don't think either one of them are absolutely horrible songs. And what I would tell you is that if you have a record of 10 songs and eight of them are pretty decent songs and a couple of them are okay, that's a pretty good record for me. And so I, I agree with you, Luann. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's not, like I said, it's not, I wouldn't put the brutal tag on it, but it's not, it's just okay. And it's coming after or waiting for a girl like you on the album. Hello. So <laughs> it's sandwiched in between waiting for a girl like you and urgent. Yeah. It sticks out like a bad thumb. So my last record, we go from a record that 90% of the listeners have to a record that is available on Spotify, but it's probably got 90 listens and only 0.9% of the people that are listening probably own this record. But we are going with a record called four by Lord Tracy. So released in 2004, Lord Tracy is Terry Glaze on vocals and guitar. If you've heard that name before, he was the original singer for Pantera. We interviewed him back in February, 2019. You got to check that episode out because Terry's an absolute nut. You got Jimmy uh, uh, Ruzadoff on guitar. You got Kinley Wolf on bass, who Kinley is an amazing bass player, and he played with uh, Cheap Trick for a while, and then Chris Gregg on uh, drums. Now, <laughs> the core of who this band is, you cannot take them seriously. So if you're going to listen to a Lord Tracy album or a song or a single or watch a video, they got a bunch of stuff out there. You have to go in with kind of like a, Steel Panther light type feeling because they're trying to be a fun band, but they're not really a dirty band. So when you, when you hear song titles like transsexual, like it's not a super sexual song. When you hear song titles like Debbie's got a chainsaw, she's not lopping off heads. She's not happy. She does have a chainsaw, but that's not really where they're going for. So you can tell that they're trying to bring some fun to it. So uh, here's a song called uh, Saxophone. Oh, 
potential And no, she can't read music It's not that important In fact, it's inconsequential Okay. I'm a Lord Tracy fan. Probably one of only 10 Lord Tracy fans you ever thought existed. We interviewed Terry Glaze. So I like to think I know a little bit about Lord Tracy. I loved Terry. I love Lord Tracy. I had no idea this album existed. I don't own this record. I didn't know it existed. I thought they had a couple things out there that I hadn't heard. I thought we might have talked about it when we talked to Terry, but I don't remember us referencing or talking about this album. Doesn't mean that we didn't. I just don't remember it. Uh, and for whatever reason, this record totally escaped me. I listened to this record a couple of times uh, since you pointed it out to me. I, it's got some good stuff on it. I mean, I think overall, I'm a big fan of that other record that they put out, the first record, but this record has some good stuff on it as well. So, yeah, <laughs> they're such a fun band. All right, well, you know, we got to connect everything to KISS. You wanted the best, but you got the best! The hottest band in the world, KISS! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So Kiss doesn't have any albums with the number four in the title, so we are going to go for a song off Kiss's fourth studio album. Now, I will warn you as king of the nighttime world, it's not by anybody that's got anything to do with politics, so you can put your pencils down right now. <laughs> it's by a band called Elmer, and the band members are Jeff Templeton, Jim McLean, Job Scott, Scott Kellogg. And it's, it was from a tribute disc that was released in 1997 called Gritalo Fuerte. 
Tributo a Kiss, right? So it's released in Argentina and Gritalo Fuerte translates to Shout It Out Loud. So here is King of the Nighttime World. Gesundheit. <laughs> Gritalo Ferrute translates to Gesundheit. I got to tell you, when I listened to this, I was intrigued. It's a very interesting arrangement of this song. I did not hate it. <laughs> I actually liked it. It's just different uh, way to hear this song. 
and I thought it was entertaining. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Elmer, Elmer Fudd, the band. Uh, but interesting cover. What, what are your thoughts on this cover? Do you like this cover? I remember when I first heard it, I'm like, uh, that's not King of the Nighttime World. What the hell are you doing? So they changed it enough to make you interested. And uh, yeah, I like the cover overall because it is different. And it just goes to show you, like Kiss touches so many people. And there's such a love-hate with this band. But when when you come down to it, there's a lot of people on this planet that were influenced by Kiss and love Kiss. And musicians that absolutely connected to them. And they haven't been around for as long as they've been around because they suck and nobody likes them. Come on. I get it. Paul can be a pain in the ass. Ace can be a pain in the ass. Peter's definitely a pain in the ass. And Gene's only about the money. Okay, whatever. But, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know the Rolling Stones that well, but I'm sure out of the five they got, they got similar problems. It just nobody can name the five Rolling Stones off the tip of their tongue. I'm sure some can. I can't. So that's just kind of my feeling on it. But, you know. I liked it, and I think a lot of people like Kiss. Yeah. I mean, it's refreshing once in a while for a band that is covered as much as Kiss is covered because they're covered, and it's not just one or two songs. People basically cover the majority of their catalog, at least from their first, what, two or three years as a band. And so for me, it's just refreshing once in a while to hear just a total you know, different cover and King of the nighttime world isn't something that, get, that gets covered all the time. I mean, it's not shouted out loud or rock and roll all night or something that's covered every other day. So I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Don't take it too seriously. Uh, and you might enjoy it as well. That's what I would tell you. That's my advice. So four years, if you're wondering how it lasted, it's because we never see each other. It's because I can hang up on his ass the minute this is done. That's how I live. There you go. We take it day by day. I put up with Sonny's bullshit just long enough to get through the phone call and flip the video off. You're welcome. Success to live by. <laughs> and it's interesting because we'll each get feedback that's about the other person. So I'll get stuff like, well, who's the one that's got the sultry voice? And I'll be like, are you kidding me right now? And then Steven will get... Oh, I'm going to be there. Was Sonny going to be there? Like, it's kind of weird stuff we'll get sometimes. Yeah, the majority of people pretty much hate me because Sonny's become a household name. Sonny's off doing uh, Chris Jericho's podcast now, <laughs> which, by the way, was enjoyable. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like I said, four years, we've covered a lot of topics. We've done a lot of different episodes. We've interviewed a ton of different people, and it's been fun. I mean, it really has been fun to talk about uh, music that we love so much. And I've learned so much about music because there are tons of bands that I didn't know anything about or just facts about bands that I did love and did know about. You know, it's uh, it's forced me to listen to music a lot more than I was before the podcast. And for that, I'm thankful. Yeah, for me, it's a great escape because of that whole thing about learning. Like I go in, do a little bit of research, listen to this song. Oh man, I haven't heard that in a while. And that song sounds like this song. I haven't heard that in a while. And you blink and it's two and a half hours of me not thinking about people setting stuff on fire and yelling at customers and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of nice to uh, get the getaway sometimes. Yeah, and all shit aside, this podcast has given me a friend in Sunny 
that at my age and never really thought I would have, you know, friends that I've actually been able to hung, hang out with. And not only Sonny, but his whole entire family is great. And I've met other great podcasters that I've become friends with. And so uh, this whole thing for me has been an escape and a blessing. And I'm, I'm thankful to have this show and the friends that go with it and talk music once a week. So hopefully it's entertaining you guys and you guys will stick with us for another four years. And yeah, it's all been good. So thank you. So from me to our listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's four, right? And since this is the fourth episode for the last four years, and uh, we appreciate you and keep the feedback coming. That's it till next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those are my four. Thank yous. See ya later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Stand up and shout!
please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.